Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. We had a good long weekend here. I hope the same for all the listeners. Yes, we got to go to a farm uh, fall fair. Eh. Uh, got to watch some tractor pulling. First tractor pull I've ever been to. Fun fact. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was good. Yeah, the weather was good. No complaints. We are here. We are doing, we're, if we sound disheveled, we're doing one of our first video uh, recordings, which is odd. I mean, often we have the video recording when we are interviewing people uh, on Zoom or whatever it is we're using. Uh, but we are going to post this or at least attempt to on YouTube. Yes. So make sure you're following us over on YouTube. We're just consummate athlete. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. So you can check out all of our episodes as we start doing them more and more frequently on YouTube. Not, I'm not going to say all I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Sometimes it's not a great hair day. So yeah, you might have to cut me out of a few of them. Uh, But yeah, we'll see what the ones that are interesting. And uh, you know, some of this is so that on social, you know, we can share videos as well as, you know, the audio, We, we already do some audio clips and snippets. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. If you like it, feedback's welcome. Ideas are welcome. Uh, but yeah, we're here. We're, we're excited. We have a great topic today. Uh, one that, uh, you know, I think is near and dear to a lot of people's, uh, but there's also some fear as much as it's near and dear. I was going to say, it is not near and dear to my heart. Right. It is very, very scary. But I think, yes, very, very important topic. Uh, but before we get into it, quick word from today's sponsor, which is AG1. And if you're watching on YouTube- yes. We, we must augment. Have we have up, props. So Molly is holding an AG1 bag. This is uh, the the product formerly known as Athletic Greens. Now AG1. They just go by that one name, and, and they're saying, you know, this is the one supplement you need to be awesome for your n- nutritional health. That insurance they talk about. Yes, I admit I was actually going to be drinking one for this episode, but I forgot and had mine already this morning. That's how habitual it is for me. Is every that morning. I wake up and every morning I start the day. With the Athletic Greens, you get everything all in one, your vitamins, your minerals, your probiotics, your prebiotics, your adaptogens, and of course, your greens. Just sort of has all the good stuff, now, and none of the bad stuff. We have another prop here. So this is the travel packs. I actually opened this up so that, that you can buy packs of travel packs if you're more of a traveling okay. person. Uh, you know, and, and they're these nice little paper packets or sachets. Uh, you can hear me opening them if you're listening. And so these are just nice little travel packs. They fit into the back of a skinny jean pocket if you wanted to Very keep them in that way. Metric. Uh, but yeah, you can travel with them and we keep them, you know, whether it's gear bags or in the van or a suitcase, briefcase, whatever you're traveling with. Right. And then you have that if, if, if meals aren't as you expect, right. Which is often the way when you're traveling and eating gas station food or something like that. Yes. Or you're very, very busy with your family and maybe not eating kind of as, as healthy. You as know, I, I heard know. it wasn't necessarily about AG1, but uh, I think I heard Alex Howes on, on a podcast talking about the tour divide. He did that uh, big, long trail race. We'll call it a uh, backpacking sort of race many, many days through Colorado. And he actually talked about like, it was mostly gas station food and, you know, the jokes about the calories per dollar and whatever, but he would actually, he said he, he felt sort of funny because he'd get like a ginger shot or something for like $9. And then he'd get, you know, all this big stack of whatever, you know, the donuts and this sort of thing for another $9. But he actually had, a, I, I think he said, I don't want to take, put words in his mouth, but he said that he was doing some sort of a uh, little green supplement in the morning as well, just as he went over this multi-week uh, backpacking thing. So that might be another spot is just like a, a, with your backpacking or something like that. It might be a nice thing uh, as you're sort of, especially these really long ones, right? Where you're getting into weeks on the road. Yeah, for sure. All right. So if you want to uh, find out more about Athletic Greens to make it easy, they're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, which also tastes delicious, by the way. And you get five of those travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit drinkag1.com backslash Molly H. Again, drinkag1.com backslash Molly H to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, which is something you might need as you are getting older. That's right. This episode, we're all about the aging process, or more specifically, I'd say like the psychological ramifications of racing and training as you are getting older with someone's 40th birthday looming on the horizon. That's right. I, the countdown is on. Um, and obviously we, we recognize here, like before we get into this, I think we should just kind of point out, we recognize 40, not really old. You know what? 50, not really old. 60, not really old. 70, not really old. It's all very much relative. Uh, so I don't think 
I don't think we necessarily need to label like, no. an age. Well, I why guess. don't you read the question here before we get too far into this? Okay. So uh, how do you know the difference between reaching your max potential, a natural plateau, or simply a dip where you're not quote unquote peaking? I feel stuck. Like I'm not as strong as in other parts of the season. Am I bouncing off the ceiling, the seemingly impassable ceiling, or am I just kept in a natural low period with the ebbs and flows of performance? I can handle the truth. It won't change, change my love of trying to break the ceiling hmm. or through the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, I love that final caveat to the question. Um, and I think, do you want to maybe boil that question down to what you think the the root question is? Because that's a very esoteric. Sure. And, and I, this struck me as one of those ones, you know, in the media training, they often say, you know, you sort of turn the question into the question you want to answer. Uh, you know, you sort of like, you know, I'm not going to talk about that, you know, affair I had, but let's talk about, you know, sports. I would very <laughs> much like to talk about that, Glassford. Right, right. Um, so I think this is really just like, is there a genetic potential, right? Like, can we all, there's sort of a few ways you could go about this. And, and the one line of thinking I sort of looked at, we tried to put a nice outline here. We, we're looking at our podcast outline, put this together. Uh, and it really just is, is there a genetic limit? Right. And so there's, I I almost think of that question as a tough one to answer. And and usually when you start Googling down the road of this, a lot of the stuff pops up as bodybuilding and strength training, muscle building, you know, is there a genetic limit? And a lot of stuff actually comes from that world because they have pushed the limit on, on yes, anabolics and drugs, but also eating, you know, for performance, putting actual muscle on, uh, there's a lot of stuff that that, that world has been doing before any of the science caught up to it. So it is sort of an interesting rabbit hole. You can go down for genetic limit. But then to kind of add on to the genetic limit, there's also the like age potential mm. for any given sport. Mm. You know, mm. we we know obviously cycling, we're seeing older and older athletes who are still winning stages of the tour uh, that are winning, bi- you know, bikepacking races, winning gravel races. Uh, we have Courtney DeWalter in ultra running, winning just literally everything. And she's approaching 40. Sure. Uh, I would still never, never bet on anyone versus Katerina Nash, who is well into her 40s. 40s and any cycling, any discipline actually come to think of it, like literally you name it, I would not bet against her. Sure. Um, so there, but we also recognize that like at some point the, the age curve is going to start changing things. Right. Right. Which is sort of like an interacting curve, right? So I think the, the root question, not the one that we want to answer, but the one that sort of was asked is, you know, if everything went perfectly and you started training and you hit, you know, they talk about development windows and LTADs and all this stuff is problematic. Like none of the science is like lock. They're all theories and no theory is, is great, right? They're just like frameworks that we try and think about things. But if you didn't do sprint training and strength training and, you know, someone, even Molly, like you're an example of like, you didn't do, you didn't hit any of the windows in the LTAD where like you're supposed to be doing sprint training and coordination training and learning to throw a ball and balance before you were 20. Right. So yeah, missed all those. Just whoosh. so the Windows theory is like not great. And the idea is that like there's this optimal window where your body's like a sponge and it like really like and, and so if you miss those windows, then the idea is that the curve sort of gets flattened, right? They talked about flattening the COVID cur- curve, which we don't want to get too into, but the idea is that like how high this went, you know, this question talked about the the ceiling. If you didn't get exposed to that stuff early, have you like dampened or flattened the curve, your genetic possibilities or or you know how high that peak can go i guess right yeah uh, let's also be real here i did not ever develop the ball sports part of that equation sure yeah yeah and now does that mean that you couldn't go and and learn like you know you're not great at ping pong is always a funny one when we're at parties or something we try and play ping pong but could you i have no doubt like there's like you could be decent. I have extreme doubts. Right. Right. So I think let's keep to cycling in in this sport, like a lot of cycling, you know, it's not, doesn't use a lot of this, like, unless we're talking about, you know, you're going to try and win a a track race or a cyclocross race or, you know, cross country mountain biking maybe is like, you know, to be a world-class person, especially now it's getting very explosive. Uh, and there is an age factor there. But I don't know. I think there's the the one little wrinkle I, as I was Googling around and reading some forums and stuff like the one thing was sometimes we look and like, can you be LeBron James, which is like the highest of all ceilings in, say, basketball? And, and he has all the genetic and the times and the, 
the willpower and all this, everything aligned in, in someone like that, right? Michael Jordan, uh, Vanderpool, you know, in, in cycling would be a one, you know, probably Voss, like these people who started at the right age, had the right parents, you know, maybe had the support networks or not, right? They had the right adversity, you know, because adversity is part of this development pathway. And, and then they created this person who's just really good at that sport, right? They have the right mindset, the experience, all these factors. And then they're just like world beaters. So there's those people and that's who we often think about, but there's also like, can you be in the pro tour? Could you get to the tour de France? And so that was sort of the interesting thing when we were thinking about, um, you know, the, the genetic limit is how good can you get? Like you can probably do anything, but like you probably can't be Vanderpool unless you're already on your way to being that, but probably like someone could go and get into the pro tour. We've, I've seen these stories that, you know, 40 year old person trains away and, you know, gets to the pro tour i don't think i could get to the pro tour i just want to be clear on that right now well so then so that's the one question that's necessarily the not necessarily the question we want to to answer but that's maybe a paradigm to think about is like you can probably do the thing but sometimes you need to reframe the way you're doing the thing now the actual question is and this is where most of the stuff in the bodybuilding went is like most people's limit is actually in what they're willing to do and the time they have available so you can get fitter but you probably aren't willing to put in the time. This is where that coach Clance quote that we often cite comes in. Everyone wants to be a monster until they find out what monsters do. Right. And so everyone wants to be Vanderpool until you find out that like every day, you know, you're training for five hours or, or whatever the equivalent is in the sport. Right. Yeah. And actually I think with, with cycling, especially with sort of masters athletes or people like people like us, who have come to it a bit later in life. I do think there's also this difference between the Vosses, the Vanderpoles, and like the LeBrons in that cycling might not even be like the sport that we're the most genetically predisposed mm, for. Yeah. Like I think part of the magic sauce that makes LeBron LeBron or Voss Voss is they found their the their match. sport. Yeah, yeah. Sport match. Yeah. Which is why we encourage kids to sample. And with consummate athlete, that's actually one of our our big things. And I want to make sure we keep coming back to that is we encourage cross training. Cross training is not a crime, which we need to make this t-shirt okay, before okay, someone jumps us. Sure. I'll put a link in the show notes yeah. to this. Cross training is not a crime, right? And part of that reason is we believe that our clients, you know, will love cycling, but very likely you love hockey or you love weightlifting or you love a different discipline of cycling or whatever. And, and we believe that these things, A, let you be consistent. This is another one of our C words. Uh, they let you find community. Not that C word. You know, our friend Chris Mayhew, we often bring up, found community uh, in CrossFit and then has now parlayed that into firefighting, which I would love to get him talking about. But, you know, you're finding these communities. He's still a cyclist, a great cyclist, but, you know, he's parlayed that into different communities by being active and, and sport sampling. And that's really, you know, again, the long-term athletic de de development model is, is flawed the way it sort of projects things. Uh, because you can come into the curve at different times. But the one piece that always gets missed is that like when you start, you're just going to gym class and doing a ton of different sports. Dan John talks about this as one of his quadrants where it's lots of things at a low level. And then as you get older, you're doing fewer things because you're not able to do as many things uh, at a low level. And you're just trying to maintain these things as you get older. And they're the things you probably like, enjoy, or good at. Um, so that's, that's that. So that's the idea is that we're sampling sports to your point. Uh, to try and find a sport match. And, and that may be part of, maybe that's where you were going with this, is that that could be part of the the genetic ceiling is, is actually finding the ideal. Even if we stuck to cycling with this question, that's most of our listeners. Sometimes it's like you're banging your head trying to be the fastest road cyclist up a hill and, and maybe you're just a bigger person. And I always struggle with my, you know, I have my 200 pound, 220 pound men. And it's just, if they would just, you know, not beat their head against trying to lose weight all the time and be super powerful and strong, you know, they could be great cyclists in many different disciplines. Um, but then they're always trying to get to be, a, you know, a 180 pound guy. And it's like, no, you're a 220 pound strong man. Uh, just embrace that. For sure. Yeah. So that, that was, that was exactly what I was thinking. And I mean, I, I would say I saw that with myself, right? Like I bounced through all the cycling disciplines. I bounced through triathlon and I would say like pretty clearly ultra running is sort of where like my genetic disposition definitely comes and my preferences. Although we've heard rumors of you coming back to cyclocross, cyclocross, possibly a gravel resurgence off of the gravel season. We'll see. I don't think I said anything. About okay. Gravel. Well, post Leadville, we'll see. Cyclocross we'll see. for sure. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, 
that said, like, you know, it's also partially what you enjoy the most, too. So I always whenever we see any of these questions where it comes to this, like pause and getting getting good or feeling plateaued, I do think there is like always an enjoyment component that needs to be at least mentioned, if not addressed. Which was that final sentence that our, our question asker, uh, mm-hmm. the listener, uh, said, you know, I'm still it's not going to change. Anything. I'm still going to try to break through the ceiling. And I think this is the journey, right? Like you go out to ride your bike every day and it's great. And you touched on it as we started, you know, you're never, it's cliche, but it's true. Like we, we spend our, you know, we're not, ne- we want to be more beautiful and more beautiful or more faster or more, you know, better or more whatever. And it's, it's, you know, you're going to look back in 20 years. The sad thing is you're going to look back in 20 years and say, you know, that was really good. You know, even if it seems like right now, isn't very good. Uh, it's, it's probably pretty good. And so trying to pull out those good things. And I've had, you know, just riding with friends today, you know, it's, it's like, oh, I'm, you know, tired and it's like, I'm not very fit. And I'm like, we are moving really well. And I've done an amazing adventure that most people would never be able to do what we just did. Right. Right. And it's just, sometimes we lose that perspective of like, this is really good. No, I often think about that on my runs. It's like one of my mantras, I guess, is that like, this is the best part of your day. Mm-hmm. Like this is as good as it's going to get. Like right. whenever I'm thinking like, oh, this sucks. Or like, oh, how many more miles do I have? Well, or how else are you doing when you get home? And again, it, it's, I don't think many people are motivated by this, but how many more of these, you know, you did a 20 mile run and then went to the fall fair. Like it was almost nothing. I was very impressed with you over the weekend. Oh, thanks, you man. have much more capacity than I would ever. I do like a 90 minute ride and I'm screwed for the day. Yeah. You're also not in favorite ant That's category right, right now. So right. Could be related to my grumpiness uh, or inability to do any sort of play thing. That's yeah. I don't know. I just, I just keep saying, put pedals on your bike. Stop riding a strider bike. It's it's not you're on the couch. I'm down playing with dolls all Mm. weekend. Really feels unfair. Uh, Where was I going there? I got lost. Fall fair. Oh, the, you're not going to have this ability for forever. Well, yeah. How many more 20 mile runs do you have in your life? I don't know. Right. Or at the at minimum, like how many 20 mile casual 20 mile runs do I have? In sure, life? sure. Like or I or love, even I love to think I'm going to be one of these like 95 year old marathoners. Right. Like, let's be clear. Okay. That's the goal. But I will agree that I probably don't have that many more years of just super cash 20 miles. And so we, we are going to have a few, as always, we have a few links and books and stuff to go deeper on any of these things. I mean, I think uh, an obvious one that you're sort of touching on here, I, I think actually Peter Atia's book is, is very popular right now. And I think there's a few things in there that if you've looked at Peter Atia's stuff or been a super Peter Atia fan, maybe gone into intermittent fasting, this book will actually, he's, he's changed much more to exercise. And the last two chapters on like mental health, emotional health, I think are, are very key. Like I, I found them very, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, they affected me, I guess, or, or were meaningful for me. You know, I, I even took action uh, in that way uh, and, and very like exercise motivated. But his big thing in this book, which is sort of used, we've seen a few different ones. We had Dr. Jim uh, Slauson on a few times talking in this direction of just thinking, you know, when Molly's 90, she wants to be able to walk, let alone run for distances. So what does that mean? And, and what does that mean as far as capacity you need have given the curve is going to start trending down each, de- you know, all the, the scary facts, right? Every decade you lose whatever VO2 max, whatever strength, whatever muscle mass. So what type of capacity do you need to have to run a marathon at 90 given that curve? Right. And I do, I do argue though, there's a push pull to this. We actually get into it a little bit next week in, or in next week's episode with Kelly and Juliet Sturet, which we're super stoked on. Uh, And I, you know, I've heard Peter Atia kind of speak towards this, although he's speaking more towards the centenarian Olympics, I think is how he says. So like the, you know, what you want to do when you're a hundred Olympics. And he's, he's in his fifties. He's really shifted to that as his like primary focus. He's, he used to be a bike racer actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he really doesn't do that anymore. He just trains kind of specifically with aging in mind. And I would say most people listening to this podcast are not in that bucket. So I do think there's a fine line to walk where you're doing the things that are going to be really good for you in the very long term. Like we're thinking 50 years ahead um, while also still making sure you are doing the stuff that brings you joy and fulfillment in the current day. Because like if I was following like Peter Atia's pillars and advice and stuff, I would be training a quarter as much as I am running 
mm-hmm. doing a, like I'm still, I'm strength training still, but I'd be doing more strength. I would have, I'd be completely shifting my diet. Like I'd be doing a lot of things very differently if all I was thinking about was getting older. So I think there's like, you have to have a focus on the future, but also on the the now and like right. the, the one to two year goals. Yeah. And it is that balance between the two. I don't think they're completely mutually exclusive, but it is that difference. Rob Wolf talks about the perform, uh, you know, there's health performance, longevity, you know, and there's sort of these three things and you try and keep them, but there's obvious differences, right? You know, you wouldn't necessarily hurl yourself down a hill on a mountain bike. Uh, if you were strictly like longevity, you'd be, you know, trying to stay away from riskier things, probably in some cases, uh, as you say, nutrition, there might be different things, you know, sort of a risk reward you'd do with that as well. Uh, but yeah, I do think that our next week's episode with Juliet and Kelly Sturette gives a few li- little things around movement that I really like. It's not as into the diet. There is a dietary piece to it, but these sort of assessments we can do uh, when we're just thinking about even this longevity and, and it's not exclusive of being able to go in for a run. It's just saying like, as an adult, who's not a professional, can you get up and down off the floor? You know, do you have range of motion in your shoulders? Do you have hip flexibility? Uh, and if not, why? Because those things you should be able to do if you, even if you're a cyclist, you know, a master's age cyclist, you should be able to get up and down off the floor smoothly. Mm-hmm. And if not, can we work on those things? Because you want to do that when you're 90, right? Because if you can't do it at 40 or 50, then, you know, we can, we can extrapolate that. So I do think that's where this bigger question of, of, you know, the ceiling, I, I think a lot of us have these little things we can work on, uh, around health, around performance, uh, and start seeing improvements both now and in the long term. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So this is where the second part of the question comes in. We're sort of saying you can still be, you know, you can still be competing, you can still be performing, but okay. Age is going to catch up with you. Mm. So the second part of the question is, I know the ceiling is continuously lowering with age. Do you have a caveat to that? But at what point do you let go of certain benchmarks of the past? Sure. So I think that's super interesting. Two pieces there, yeah. And yeah, first piece is like, there's a lot of things that you have till, I would argue, like mid 40s even before you really even think about like things actually lowering with age. And I think there's a lot of things that you can keep at least at level for like quite a long time. Like, I think so. There are some pretty freaking strong, like 55 year olds out there that are lifting what they did at 45. And that was Kelly and Juliet in their book. Um, ready to move? Built to move. Built to move, uh, which is out now. And, and again, a great coffee table book. And, and they talk about, yeah, there's such a difference when you get into that 50, 60. We probably all know someone who's still out running marathons or at the local mountain bike race and keeping up on the group rides. And then you probably know a 56 year old who's you know, it looks like they might be 60, 70 and, and barely can get out of the house. I hate to say this because it's a terrible sitcom and we don't recommend it to anyone, but this was literally an episode of How I Met Your Father that we just watched. Okay. Yeah. This is the, not, not How I Met Your Mother, but the, the newer one, Hillary Duff for Hillary, Hillary Duff, Duff fans. is lovely. Love her. Not a good show. Don't watch it. But there was like a funny joke about she's dating an older guy and a guy his age is at the same bar and looks- Same class. Like he's yeah. like- yeah, he looks like he's like 40 years older. And so, yeah, what are the differences there? And it's probably on this day to day of doing some sort of meaningful movement. And, and again, maybe some strength training, you know, just taking care of those things, you know, the function of the body, uh, you know, there there are there's basic nutrition tenants without getting too kooky about stuff. Uh, so, so I do think that that's a, a way into that. Uh, where was I going to go? I, I thought that the interesting thing with that is, yes, that's true. But a lot of the athletes we work with are actually these adult onset cyclist adult you know you're an adult onset runner so it's hard to say everything so you if you if we looked at a theoretical curve of like yes you're not 20 so like you're just declining into menopause and it just get you know it's going to be like this plummeting except i couldn't run a mile when i was 20 right so then your curve and this is the person asking this question and lots of my clients like they just haven't put in you know i guess like someone like myself where it's like i started jumping bikes when i was a kid and then i put in a bunch of thousand hour years uh, you know, so I've trained a lot and, and then, so now I'm at the point where the, the benefit of me training, like it just never gets that much better. There's little wins along the way, uh, which we can talk about in a second, but for a lot of these people who are on like year one to five of, of quote unquote, serious training, there's just such a room for improvement, right? That's where all of that 80% of the improvement you're going to see are going to come in those first bunch of years. And so for a lot of people, I don't think it's like a genetic limit. Uh, there might be a seasonality that this person's talking about where they think they're plateauing, but it's just a conversation around like, no, you get ready for one, you know, big race or two big races in the year. And then you let the fitness decline. And then it comes back up again, sort of in the seasonal 
undulation or periodization and planning. And I mean, honestly, when it comes to age, especially with endurance sport, but I think this is even true in some of more strength-based like lifting kind of sports, technique has so much to do with it. So we all know that like 80 year old dude that still shows up on like the group road ride Mm -hmm. that can somehow keep up with all of the 20 year olds, often passing the 20 year olds because he's so freaking good at drafting, like just phenomenal at drafting and staying on wheels. There's also, you know, plenty of like 60 to 70 year old mountain bikers who just freaking crush it because they've been doing it for literally since the dawn of mountain biking. Sure. Sure. Um, so their technique is just so much better. And so there's tech, there's technical and there's tactical, right? Yeah. There's sort of that, that game, uh, there's sort of all the elements there, but just knowing how to play the game is worth a while. Like still on road group rides, I'm so bad. Uh, and I always forget stuff cause I don't do it that often. So it is, it's just getting used to like, how does the group move? Um, and staying in the group, right? You know how the game works. And, and I would say every discipline, you know, whether it's ro- uh, running or riding or road or off-road, there's going to be these elements of the game that the experienced person, especially in this ultra stuff is experiences. If you look at studies on this, it, it's 50 and 60 and 70% of the predicted uh, times are based on experience, which which isn't rocket science, right? Like it sort of makes sense. Like, okay, this person's run a hundred miles before they, they have a more likely that they're going to finish, let alone win. Uh, but what that comes with that is knowledge of yourself, like the mental aspects you go through over these long things, uh, fueling, fueling, you know, fueling the gut. And I think we're seeing all sorts of improvements there, uh, as well as stuff progresses. So again, there's so much stuff that happens over time. Uh, and this is it, right? Like, I don't think for an adult who's just starting training, I, I don't see why it couldn't be that eight to 16 year increasing, uh, ability yeah. Uh, in the same way we talk about kids, you know, you're doing these p- talks to parents and it, it's saying, you know, this is a long process to get to the Olympics. This is a eight would be a really fast trip to the Olympics. 16 is is very common uh, when we talk about when they start training as, you know, whatever, 10, 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old till they get to that 28 to 32. That's sort of your standard endurance, you know. Most, a lot of people, you know, there's exceptions for sure, but that's sort of the hot spot uh, for a lot of your Olympic pointy end of the stick, uh, winners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even looking at you, like you've had some of your best national championship results in the last like 10 years. And there's so many, there's so many factors to that, but sure. I mean, to be fair, this is the first year you've won a national championship. Well, and I don't know that uh, that's, but even before that, like you're placing in like the elite field and even, even yeah. last year in like the masters, you know, staying with someone who is racing. But, but case in point, I would say it's, it's definitely, I've stopped, not stopped trying, but I, I would say I'm impressed. I always say to you, like I'm, I'm getting my better results than I deserve given the training that I'm doing. Um, but certainly in the latter part of my career, like, yeah, I was just smarter about equipment and smarter about pacing and smarter about just the game, right? Like you understand like on a mountain bike, you got to get yourself to that front row and, and you need to go as hard as you can to get into the group. Uh, and, and I've gotten a lot better technically. So these things come later, even independent of fitness, right? If I look at threshold or if I look at a lot of these things, some of those are, are down for sure. Uh, but other things are up. Like I think I, I am actually snappier cause I'm not as tired a lot of the time from bigger volume. So I actually have my, my shorter powers are better. And then this hot topic around sort of durability or fatigue resistance, which is more relevant in longer races, which I do less of, um, I would say I'm, I'm even better there than I, I was at some points. And some of how much of that's fueling, I don't know, uh, how much of it is just like reps on the body, right. And efficiency of the body. Yeah. Which also kind of like that calls me to think about like this phrase, the ceiling is continuously lowering. I think the ceiling might be akin to our ceiling as we were trying to set up this lovely studio you see behind us where uh, the ceiling is different heights all over the place, apparently. Mm. Um, So sure, your your VO2 or your threshold or your sprint ceiling, yeah, might start lowering. And like that makes sense. That's going to lower with age. But at the same time, your other ceiling, your technical abilities, your tactical abilities, your, you know, efficiency, even your endurance, I think like endurance, especially can go, that can keep going. Sure. And what I see with a lot of my athletes, again, because they're newer to cycling and or have come from like a endurance background, I I sort of put that in quotes, I guess I can put in quotes for the video people, uh, you know, and so they've never worked on their sprint or their like anything under five and let alone 20 is just their curve is flat. So if you think about a curve going from the left, the sprint five second power, one second power is on the far left and it's really high. 
So it's like a thousand watts, say it's probably more like 400 watts in a lot of cases, probably should be closer to a thousand watts plus or minus depending on you know who you are and what you're, how big you are and everything else. And then it goes down and to the right uh, as you get it into longer and longer efforts, the, the it's lower. And that's true for everyone, right? No matter, you know, it always goes down as you move to longer, right? The longer things go. All that to say, a lot of these quote unquote endurance athletes, it'll be like, say 200 Watts for their 20 or 60 minute. And then like five minutes, 210 Watts. And then their five second is like 300, 400 Watts. And so there's just no possible way for those numbers to go up. And so then your question is, is that physiological or is it actually, they've just never trained sprinting. They've never done you know, 10 sprints in a, a ride and try and go as hard as you can, right. Or sprint at a town line or, you know, cause none of their events have done it. None of their training, their training's all been this, you know, quote unquote zone two LSD long, slow distance. So now it's like, well, is there actually like a whole world of improvement that these people could have? And we could call this athleticism or power or, or whatever that then will translate back. And I think most of it's actually in the skill, if not the mindset, as much as it is in, in any sort of physiological threshold, I think they just actually can access it, uh, from that point. So again, the training is, is actually interesting. I had a second thought to that. That's sort of the inverse of that. So the other thing that we do with aging, and this is Joe Friel's fast after 50 is like mandatory reading. If you're really into this, like you he have sent to read this to so many people, this book is, is very good. And it talks a lot about this, like prolonging or, or keeping, I don't know if it's flattening the curve as much as like delaying the flattening of the curve or, or whatever, but there's like this fade in, in your VO two max, or your threshold. Right. And so every year you lose a percent or whatever the horrible thing is. And so he talks about, you know, you can, as long as you keep training, it actually, you, you delay the curve, you know, or the, the drop of the curve, right. The decrease in, in the fitness. And then he also looks at sort of the muscle composition and they have all these, like this, like inactive person. And then this active person who did triathlon until they were 70 or whatever it is. And just like how much fat is in their leg bone. And it's sort of this, always this compelling thing where it's like way less fat basically in this person's leg because they've been active. Whereas the person who wasn't active has a way more fat in their leg. Uh, with the idea that then the metabolism would be higher and and just they'd be able to lift themselves up and down, right? In some of these activities daily living as much as doing triathlon. So the other thing that happens with age, and this is really the the Cole's notes of that book, is we stop doing interval training. We stop sprinting. We stop doing hard hills. We just do coffee rides or long, slow distance because it feels good and we're getting older. So we don't want to, you know, work as hard. And, and I get it. Like, this is not an easy thing. Like you, you, you've, you're done racing. I don't want to do another interval ever again. Well, this is literally your point when you were just saying like, I ran 20 miles and it was fine to go to the fair. You do 90 minutes and you're like on the couch all weekend. Right. right. That's because you did very hard efforts during the 90 minutes. I did like wasn't easy, but like a chill 20 miles. Sure. And I mean, those would be examples of how you could choose to spend time or energy. Right. And again, it's a mindset piece and I'm not saying it's an easy switch, but that's usually what happens with age. So then we have a co-founding factor where like most people, as they get into their forties and fifties, they just do less hard intensity. Which makes sense because long, slow distance is super fun. Well, I mean, you're also probably dealing with kids or parents or work, work, you know, everything's hectic when you're in those, you know, 30 to 50 to 60, like that's your money-making years. It's the socializing years. It's the kids, you know, are doing stuff years. So it's very hard to train as much volume and to motivate yourself to push hard, right? Like to go out on a Tuesday night after you've been at work and then kids practice and then to go do intervals. Like, I don't blame you. I wouldn't be able to do it most of the time and often can't. Uh, but that's the the thing that in the Joe Friel book is he's like, no, you need to do intensity. You actually need to decrease volume in a lot of cases, do more intensity, periodically do like volume blocks for a long weekend or something, strength train. Uh, and then there's a bit of nutrition stuff in there too. But really the like Cole's notes is like, try and get your intensity in if you want to preserve VO2 max. VO2 max is how hard you go. You know, if you think about VO2 max intervals, five by three minutes, something like that. Uh, and that's really the Cole's notes for that Joe Friel book. Mm -hmm. This probably echoes uh, Stacy Sims uh, around the roar and the menopause stuff. What is the key Cole's notes there? Strength training, high intensity, uh, jumping, uh, protein, right? That's sort of if Very we had to, it. if I had to Cole's notes that I think both books are worth reading for everyone because um, they're quite valuable. Uh, but that's, you know, again, when we talk about genetic limits, it's like, are you willing to keep doing the work? And that's what I said, the bodybuilding 
they were like, it, it's not genetic limit. It's just most people aren't willing to keep going to the gym or keep eating chicken or keep eating, you know, more protein or put in more stimulus to the body, especially as those gains start decreasing, they will decrease right again. Like I have to probably train 10 more hours to get, you know, what is it a percent, right? If I wanted my FDP to go back up where it was when I was 25, I'd probably have to put in another 10 hours uh, of work, right? Like it's, and the eating and the napping and the, right. I don't know where I can't find another hour. So right. <laughs> I don't know. And I mean, FTP also like any of these metrics have so many other things around them, right? Because it's like, okay, your FTP was this, but what was your weight at the time? Right. Or my happiness or the numerous other things we do in the day. So it is, it is a trade-off, right? And this is where it's like, is FTP happiness I mean, like straight up on paper, like forgetting like the happiness and like environmental right. factors. Like, like, was I faster? But your your weight would influence like that and your sprint power and stuff. If you were like heavier or lighter, that's going to change what that number was. Sure. And I would say my like I've actually beat my five minute, which we'll get to some of these power things and how we can compare because that was sort of is that the second question sort of right? It's a bit of like, how do you compare? Yeah. How do you compare yourself from the numbers? You're going to start losing that. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that, I guess. But um, yeah, no, it's a great question. Like, would would I beat myself based on technical skill and not being a dummy and, uh, you know, fueling myself appropriately and having a better bike? Like probably my my bike technology has been helpful and, you know, I have inserts now and more efficient suspension, I guess. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. It's like, how do you define this ceiling? And I think that's really the secret is you keep sort of shifting the ceiling or, you know, I've, I've shifted a few clients where they've only ever tested indoors. Power meters are now more available. And I'm like, well, now you have a whole new place to go and see how fast you can go outside when you have to balance and look where you're going. For sure. Yeah. Right, there you go. And in principle, the numbers should be higher outside, but this isn't true for most people. So there you go. There's two more years where you're trying to figure out how you can go faster outdoors mm -hmm. uh, and go after the five minute to, to you know, five second uh, power numbers outdoors because those should be faster or, you know, higher outdoors because you can stand and use a hill and all these other things and maybe sprint your friend to the town sign. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think one thing that people tend to compare themselves to, especially like year over year is like there's certain races, right? Like you always do this race year over year and then something. you have a time. So we have and Paris to Ancaster like, is a big one. Let's yeah. just point out that that is the crappiest metric in the history. It's a, it's a dangerous one. It's a super dangerous one because there are so many literal environmental factors, right? A little more mud on the course, a little more rain. It's a little hotter. It's a little colder. It's snowing. It's sleeting. Like your bike broke this year, but you forgot about like, yeah. you know, there's just so many confounding variables to that, that to try to compare your performance at any given race to your past performance in that race. Like you're just comparing apples to oranges. Well, and we laugh sometimes. I, I, Dan Pruel, national coach, laughs sometimes because I always talk about average speed in mountain bike races in Ontario because it's actually pretty consistent. Like to win, you know, and it's not always the like to the the kilometer, but like to win, you have to go over 21 usually. But sometimes it's like as high as 26. Like it's quite fast usually in in Ontario because it's very fast terrain uh, for mountain biking. And, and he's like, nowhere else in the world do you talk about. It's such an Ontario thing to talk about speed with mountain biking. And it's like, well, I mean, it, it's sort to like it this is how fast you have to go off road uh so it is sort of like an interest and course to course it's even more predictive like you almost know you know at albion it's probably going to be between 24 and 26 and would you train to that like that's what i always struggle i don't know what you exactly do with that information like you could do time trials off road and, and say like okay well you're only going 19 like you're not like <laughs> figure it out uh, why are you going slow? Is it, is it technical? Is it, is it the engine? Uh, and then you could, you know, set goals off of that, I guess. But even 24 to 26, if one year it rained and yeah. you were slower than you were the fast dry year, the year prior, right. are you a worse cyclist? Or did they put were... two more hills in yeah. it? Yeah. Like... Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, but I, 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 you'd have to, that's always an asterisk, right? With outdoor stuff is that there's going to be this variable in there. So you'd have to cross-reference like did you win you know how far back from the winner is often like a good one um which is variable because like you could lose to the winner uh you know and, and be five percent back or or a couple percent back whereas maybe you won the year prior and it wasn't as hard a competition or re yeah a really big name showed up and just smoked everyone by like an hour right which yeah can very easily happen at any of these like local gravel events or anything you just have kind of pro home training and like so probably a good, before we get into power, you know, on that topic, like there is the one we talked to someone way back, maybe you'll remember their name and they were talking about the running, um, 
age graded results. So you have your 5k time, like running's very big on this. And I would say running 5k times are like your 20 minute power. John Beverly, right? John Beverly. And, and he was talking about in running. So once you're 30, you know, there's an age graded result based off of your 20 year old, whatever, you know, whatever distance you're racing. I would imagine this goes down to track stuff and it's probably even more predictive there, but then you have your 5k and your 10k and your half marathon. And then you can actually compare to yourself based on these age graders. So you maybe get like two or three minutes back, whatever it is, you know, every decade or something like that. I don't know how quick it drops, uh, but that might be something to look at if you're a runner is you can actually race yourself, but you get a little bit of slack because now you're 30 and then you're 40. And I think that's really all categories are. Molly just said, I won my first national championship and it's, well, I'm now racing master and not elite. So again, it's, it's age graded. I still think I did pretty well and it was really not a, a course that would suit me usually. And I kept my stuff together and had great tires and my inserts really paid off that day. Uh, fueled, you know, way above usual. So I'm, I'm still learning and, and doing a great job and didn't fall over, you know, and I, I always say I can be second very consistently, but to win is always different. So, uh, you know, I think you take that for what it is and it's age graded. It's not the big elite race anymore, but that's, that's fine, right? You won winning is winning competing is competing. So I do think that's what categories are for, but I think even I, I wanted to look it up. I'm not sure that there is something with power, but there must be some sort of age graded thing as well. So Possibly. I'll do some looking and try and put it in the show notes. If ever anyone knows of the age graded power stuff or like a power profile thing, uh, we should put that in there. And, and there's something in the back of my head that I've forgotten. Uh, so I'll go deep and try and find that. But if anyone wants to help, uh, feel free to send those resources. Okay. Well, did you have anything to mention about power specifically? So one trap we get into, and I have this like, cause I have so much power data. Not everyone has a lot of power data. But you always want to try and people are always talking about beating the curve or like uh, this year, I'm going to beat my 20 minute power. And that's a dangerous game. And not always to Molly's point, it's not actually what you want to do all the time. You don't always want to chase 20 minute power or threshold, depending on your goal, you might be good enough. And then you might actually be, why are you not chasing your five second, 20 second doing intervals? Number one, why do you keep doing time trials and tests? I actually just did an article on this for bicycling and talked to so many people who are just like, this obsession with the 20 minute FTP right now is entirely like, is it bad right now? I didn't. Well, it's so think about it. Remember how like Valentine's day was a holiday created by Hallmark. Okay. FTP is more or less a metric that has been like so popularized by Zwift. It's the Valentine's day card of esports because no one like I mean FTP has always mattered, but you did not really care about just raising your FTP can above I, any. Can other I give a metric. hot take? No, not till I'm done with my okay, hot take. Okay. But now that the 20 minute FTP is going to help determine your power to weight, which is going to help determine who you are as a Zwift racer or whatever esport platform you use, suddenly all anyone wants to do is raise their FTP and have kind of forgotten about the fact that like it's kind of a meaningless metric. Like, sure. or at least it's, it, there's just so many other, there's five minutes, there's 30 seconds. There's, well, and, and we used to look a lot at the repeatability. So you can do 120 at 300 Watts, but then your second one's like whatever, right? Like you're so screwed. It's like 250. So this is that durability, right? It's really just endurance or in WKO, the training peaks software, they call it, uh, I'm blanking on it, not sustainability. It'll come to me stamina. Um, and, and sort of this idea of like holding on to a near threshold effort for longer, which is probably when you're looking at these people doing unbound or, or any of these longer things, probably the more relevant thing, right. Is like, how long can you hold tempo pace, sweet spot pace, whatever, uh, moderate pace, you probably want to extend out that threshold time longer versus just drilling a 20 minute, like 20 minutes, probably good. If you're a mountain biker, cyclocross racer, it's probably good training just to, you know, slam that out, but there's a big anaerobic component, right? And that's always the criticism is someone who's very good anaerobically could probably bluff their way through 10 minutes of really, really hard stuff. And then as long as they hold on, you know, they get this maybe high reading. Yeah. And that's why when I interviewed Andy Kogan a few months back, he was saying like to him, really the 60 minute threshold test is still the gold standard for what your threshold actually is it is just so stinking hard to do mm -hmm. and it's a hard condition to recreate it's a hard thing to spend time on so most people just won't do it sure sure and i mean the wko software a lot of the software now is actually using because it's a curve they're actually you know you can sort of do a couple different peak efforts and this is how the the alternative uh system uh like watt prime and uh help me out here what's the alternative watt prime critical power, uh, which is the one the physiologists tend to like. It's it's more mathematical. Uh, 
And so it's, it, it actually lets you do like a 12 and a six and a five second or whatever. And then it calculates the curve based off of those lines and connects them. Um, all that to say, we've sort of gone down a rabbit hole of predicting threshold. What was your hot take? Well, do we want to use hot takes? That's what David and Megan use on uh, the swap podcasts. Okay. Well, you're the one that dropped that you've had a hot take. I think it's a popular. Well, term. more I was going to say, unless you're an esports racer, like it, it just doesn't, I, I find it like just. It's good. Like you can test indoors because it's winter time. So you just stole my hot take. Well, it's yours really... was that you don't like 20 minutes. I'm okay with just calling it a 20 minute and that's the best 20 minute power you've ever done. I didn't say I didn't like 20 minutes. Oh. I said they're popularized by the rise of esports. My hot take is that I think you need to do it outside because it's hard to predict something that's outside if you don't have to look or balance your bike. Right, right. Um, and so I think that's a big piece of it, right? Even if it's variable, I think it's, I've seen a lot of 20 minutes outdoors that are pretty good and, and it's variable, right? It's 10 minutes flat, 10 minutes hill or something like that. Is it perfect? Would a physiologist like it? I don't know, but I'd probably pick that person who can do 300 versus the 300 indoors. Uh, all that to say, you're, you, so you have all these peak powers, whatever you believe in indoors or outdoors, whatever, do you need to beat it every year? I would say no. Uh, you want to be close to those. But I think different years, you'll go after different ones. You'll have different characteristics. Maybe one year you're doing unbound, one year you're doing really focused on cyclocross. So there'll maybe be different focuses. And so you may not get that peak, right? You may race a bit more uh, in different things. But I do think you want to be careful always trying to beat like your 18-year-old self. I think if you can watch that maybe two years, 730 days uh, rolling average, sometimes that can be useful to just you know give yourself some motivation to go out and try and get one of them. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't hold on too hard to them. I don't think that's necessarily what you have to do. And I do think that to Molly's point, which is actually the opposite of the point you made about the races is some of these Strava segments, local hill tests, you might actually get a little bit of a win because your bikes keep getting better and right, you right. keep getting better at pacing, fueling, timing of the day. Let yourself go ahead and try and just beat the actual time up the hill, even if the power is a little different, a little lower, a little different. I was also thinking this whole like, uh, you know, sorry, what's the, what's the actual like drop going to be? I do think everything is so plus or minus, right? Like your power meter might be reading high, your heart rate meter might be reading low, like same weather confounding variables, temperature is different. So I think, what would you say the percentage like plus minus? Oh, I don't know. Would be to like, say that you're the, to say that you're quote unquote the same, right? Is it right? Right. So if your FTP was 200 mm -hmm. one year and next year it's 190, are we assuming that you're 5% worse or is that close enough that we don't even. Well, that's a great point. And then would you bet on, this is the idea of clustering, which is often how in the pro tour, I'm, I'm told at least that this is how they often select is they actually don't care about one. 20 minute or 160 minute or whatever the thing is often it's like after a certain amount of work, this is that durability piece you do 2000, 3000 kilojoules. What's the 20 minute at the end of that. Um, but they actually like a lot of times are looking for that, but like the cluster of them. So like your top five, uh, and sometimes they'll do like, what is that top five average versus the peak? Uh, so that's sometimes an interesting way to look at it. Cause that actually suggests that you're training, you know, you're doing what, you know, Joe Friel suggested in that fast after 50 is you're doing intervals. So you're getting these higher twenties, maybe not your best, but you know, if it's 300 is your best 20, you're getting a bunch of rides where like maybe the peak twenties in and that like 280, 285, whatever. Uh, and then would you bet on that person? Would you bet on the person who has one perfect day where no one bugged them and they got a 300 Watts? Or would you bet on the person that's been doing intervals, you know, up the local hill and they've been getting some 285s, hmm. you know, classic two, whatever it is, two by twenties or four by tens that are averaging around that or something like that. Uh, I don't know. Right. Like I think it's a consistency piece. It comes back to the, the third C. Yeah. Can you tie that into it? Right. Again, just good, consistent training. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think the only other point that we have here uh, is I actually don't know where you were going to go with this. Um, oh, okay. I, kind of what we were just talking about. Let's talk one metric to rule them all. Uh, you have a note here is power, how you find your self-worth. I think that's a very important thing to point out as we're talking about power. You know, I just had my little rant about FTP, but the same thing applies to literally any metric. Well, power and pace will be the big ones, right? Pace and running, uh, or just people on bikes who use kilometers per hour. Um, you know, you always have to do 30 kilometer an hour rides or something. Yeah. I mean, it's just not, there's lots of ways to win a bike race. There's lots of ways to be a good bike rider. And I don't think it has to be that you need this 200 watt or 300 watt or 400 watt 
whatever threshold 20 minute whatever we're going to also talk. a lot of ways to be like a happy healthy human like forgetting winning the bike race sure um and if you just are so so focused on this one number this one metric uh it's probably going to sap a lot of the joy out of the actual riding itself and make the whole thing a lot less fun to do and ultimately you know if it's not fun to do, maybe you should switch to the Peter Atia like straight up longevity metrics of exercise and training and just hang up the the racing shoes. I realize that sounds a little extreme and a little dramatic, but mm-hmm. I mean, if you're just miserable because you're so focused on maintaining these metrics or holding on to these metrics. And I think the message is, you know, we keep training, we keep pushing, you keep pushing, you keep on the path. And then I think you also keep changing the thing a little bit. We've had people on the podcast talking about they do the same race as they've been doing for the last 20 years, but they've switched to doing it single speed. And then they did it on a gravel bike. And then, so there's that approach. That's not for everyone, but some people really like that. You know, you just make it a little different. So you can't compare it as well, right? Mm -hmm. It's a different, a different thing or a different distance or a different, you know, again, the categories are sort of related to that, but I think you can mix it up. Uh, you know, we talk about cross training and I want to bring that back, right? It's part of the reason we cross train is that so not every day is this wattage comparison, uh, it keeps it fresh. It keeps you learning. You can see that progress, you know, where you're not talking about genetic limits. You're talking about, oh, wow, look at how much better at hula hooping I got this week uh, or whatever the thing is, right? Strength training for a lot of us is something you can see benefit every single time you go and do strength. You'll probably be able to lift a little bit more if you haven't been doing it. Uh, you know, any of these sports and new disciplines, you know, getting into mountain biking for a few clients and, and gravel, right. Getting off the road bike and onto gravel is like, oh, wow, there's all these other variable things. There's technical skill we get to now learn. And, you know, oh, we're walking. We have to walk now. And, you know, again, spoiler for next week. This is something we talked with Kelly and Juliet about, like right off the bat was they've gotten into mountain biking after being like pretty professional in other sports and how that's sort of been this game changer for them. Sure. Um, okay. Last thing you have a note here that says never stand in the same river twice. Right. Which really gets to that comparison idea, right? That we, you know, after the injury, we have to get back to that exact same state. Uh, you know, after that race in Leadville, where I was, you know, felt like the peak of my life. And then I have to hold on to that for the whole time. And it's this standing in the river. I wish I had the attribution for this and I'm not sure where that came from, but, uh, it, it is the way that it is, as Bart would say, right? It, it, you you can't compare is. tomorrow is gone, right? It, it is just t- tomorrow is gone. Yesterday. Yesterday. Is Tomorrow's gone. probably gone too, honestly, by the time we're talking. By the time you're hearing this yeah. in the future. And, and so this is, you know, just be careful that like you have to get back to that. Ex- you don't, you don't have to get back to that exact same thing. And again, you're going to be in great shape for where you are right now. And you just want to go through and enjoy that for what you are, right? Try and get, you know, what can you improve a little bit? And often the improvement pieces are are not directly related to that fitness. The fitness is the base, right? That you go, you show up every day, you do the bike riding if you're a bike rider, but there's so many elements to this, this stuff, especially our listeners where a lot of it is this endurance experience, adventure stuff. There's just so much stuff that's not, as you say, threshold or power or, you know, these things that maybe will decline a lot of it, like actually gets better with age because you get smarter and less risky and, you know, you don't let ego get into so much of it. I think you've gotten better with age. It could be. We'll see. We'll see. All right. I think we'll we'll wrap up there. So thank thanks everyone for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube, hello. It was very nice seeing you or having you see us. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, do us a favor. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, rate, review, etc. Uh, if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, also do that. Why not? You can get us in two different places. Play whatever is easiest. And with that said, we will see you next week for another fun episode. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.